Wow, that is so rewarding and so enriching and so good to be together and to be able to remind ourselves in these uh, strange times what it means to be able to say it is well with my soul. Our prayer has been, and it certainly will be as we go through this text, that that's what God would speak to us for various reasons and at various levels and at various spaces we all find ourselves. Can we say with the psalm writer, with the men and women of faith all over the world, it is well with my soul. Well, good morning. Um, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 6 in our study in the Gospel of Luke, starting at verse 17. That's going to be my text this morning. And uh, just a word of family business before we get into things. I do want you to know, in case you have not heard yet, that one of our uh, beloved, Ruth Davis, has passed away. She got her wish that has been weeks long to go to be with the Lord, and she is with Jesus now. We don't have any um, plans yet made for a service, a funeral service, but we will, as time goes on, uh, know those details, and we will communicate them to our church body when her funeral will be. I want to say a quick word before I start also, this will be my only opportunity really, uh, to say thank you to those of you who were part of the retirement event in um, January. What a great event it was, it was beautiful and just overwhelming, so thank you for that. Thank you for those of you that gave money for my bike shop mission, Uh, it's beautiful, a beautiful retirement party and and I just want to express my deep, deep gratitude for you and for that expression of love. I'm so honored and humbled. And I guess I should say, if I'm retired, what am I doing preaching? Uh, I, uh, I get the privilege of doing that because Matt, Pastor Matt said, every once in a while you can preach. And I, I, while I'm honored, it is so clear to me that that is so unnecessary because our preaching team, Pastor Matt, Pastor Tim, Pastor Chris, wow, those guys, I'm so very blessed and grateful. And in light of their good work, so honored to stand before you today. Well, we are in, as you might know, a long series, a long look at the book of of Luke. We're splitting the book of Luke up into into seasons in which are episodes, and we're in season two. We started season one last year. We're in season two where we're looking at um, the book of Luke in a slow process, just taking it in and understanding who Jesus is and the certainty we can have about him and how important that is for today, probably unlike any other time. So season uh, two will continue now through May, and then we'll take a break, look at some other important issues, and then we'll pick uh, season three up in the fall in September. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to read the text. It's Luke chapter six, starting at verse 17, where Luke writes this, and he came down, Jesus came down with them, his chosen 12, the disciples, who he renamed apostles, and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day 
and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The text starts with Jesus coming down from a mountain. That absolutely tells us something right there. He comes down from a mountain where he was with his chosen 12. Up there on the mountain, planning, strategizing. He comes down just like revolutionaries always do. They go up to the mountains, make their plan, come down and begin their revolution. That's what Jesus is doing. He's a revolutionary. He's absolutely revolutionizing everything. So he comes down the mountain with his 12 and to a group of people, a large group, by some estimates, a thousand, maybe more. They're from all over Judea, Jerusalem, out by the seaboard, the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, cities all over northern Israel, and they are gathering to hear Jesus again. They've heard about him, they want to know what's going on, and they know that some have reported he can heal. So that's so significant here, because Jesus comes down, and the first thing Luke tells us is that he starts to heal. He sees the people with diseases, both physically and mentally, and he heals them. They reach out to touch him, and he heals them. There's a miraculous event happening in this powerful way. Jesus launches his ministry with the power of healing, the miraculous power of healing, in order to convince those who are following him, who are listening to him, who are wondering about this man who is now claiming to be the Messiah, the God come in flesh and blood. Others have done that. Well, what makes Jesus different? Why should we believe and follow him? Well, for one reason is he's got this power to heal. He's demonstrating who he said he is by this miraculous power of healing. That's why all of them have been healed. Jesus launches his ministry with proof, with evidence that he is who he said he is. So he he goes and he heals these people who are gathered around, thousands of them, and he is repairing the damage of sickness and, and disease mentally and physically in order to demonstrate, to show evidence to those that are there that he is who he said he is through this incredible opening healing ministry of Jesus at the very start of his mission, supernaturally, showing he is God. Showing, and, and this will just continue throughout Jesus' ministry and culminate, as you know, in his death and burial and resurrection that he will, that he will, uh, that he will tell people he's going to do before it even happens. And absolutely it does. It absolutely does. Well, every one of us in this context knows all about um, needing healing. This coronavirus, this COVID-19, it's here. It's making its way around the globe. There's barely a spot on the globe where this has not affected people, something we've never dealt with in all of history. It's serious. It's taking a lot of us um, by surprise. Things have become kind of a new normal for a while. Lots of things are happening in our world. It's happening really fast, and it has to do with our well-being, with our health, with survival in some cases. People are panicking. They're operating out of fear. I mean, if you go to the market. You go, I went to Sam's Club the other day early thinking I would beat the crowd. I drive in, it's like 7.30 on Friday morning and it, the parking lot was jammed and so were the lines. It was like two days before Christmas and people were in there all buying the same thing. There was no toilet paper to buy so people were buying big rolls of 
paper towel. I don't know what they're going to do. Take them home and cut them in half so they fit on the roller. Uh, water, hand sanitizer, whatever they can get their hands on. Food, supply, people are panicking. They're, uh, they're absolutely, it's crazy. It's nuts. We're seeing it all over the place. Uh, and by the way, when we can reopen our campuses and you come in, I just want you to know we put cameras in all the restrooms here so that if you try and steal our toilet paper, we're going to know. All right, seriously, we, who's not praying for God's intervention here, that God would intervene? I mean, we've been praying. We prayed this morning before our services. We pray all the time. People are praying. We have prayer teams right now praying for you, for us, for, a na- for our nation. We're all praying for protection, for safety, for well-being, for people who have been affected, people that we know. So the big question is, uh, can God intervene? Can God heal? And the answer, of course, is yes. Uh, That's what we know. God can heal. He is a God who can do it. The question is, will he? And the answer to that is, that's up to him. He's our Savior. He's our God. Our role is to trust him and what he has demonstrated as his consistent faithfulness from the very beginning. We have to trust him now. This is a good time to say, we believe he can and we believe according to his will, He will. At the end of the day, Jesus is the only and the one who has ever been ultimately trustworthy. Absolutely the one we put our faith in. And now, among times probably we have ever seen before, is the time to trust Jesus. Just as a a reminder, because this is foundational, we live in a broken world. This world has been damaged and impacted and infected by sin. We all know that. We were born into sin. We participate in sin. Sin damages and affects everything, even the best of things. This is why Jesus came. This is the very reason why Jesus Christ, God in flesh and blood, came to handle, to repair the sin break that broke our relationship between us and God and to repair it by taking our sin on himself paying for it on the cross with his own life, getting buried and then raising himself from the dead to make everything he said and did absolutely true. But I want you to think about something. The reason there's sin in the world is because of God's love, ultimately. It's because of his love. I know that sounds strange, but think about it. Absolute love demands that we have a choice to not love. You have to think that through and understand that God loves us so much and, and love demands that we can choose not to love. If that weren't the case, if God insisted that we love him, we would not be loved by him. We, that, that's not love, that's slavery. But God in his amazing, redemptive, august love for us gives us the choice to choose to love him back or not. So sin essentially is disobeying God, disregarding his laws, breaking them, or at worst, rejecting him, turning away from him. So God in his, his love, his redemptive love comes when we have a choice. Adam made that choice for us. He made the choice that has infected all of us to choose to disobey God, to choose to turn his back on what God had said. And thereby sin entered the world and we're all uh, impacted. And, and, and sin now in our world is a result of that original sin. So Jesus comes and he, and, he, and he lays on us these opening words in a ministry that will be characterized by a set of values that are very different than values we subscribe to generally. 
you could even think of it as Jesus coming and reversing the order of value in order for us to be who we're called to be as followers of Jesus and to bring redemption and restoration to the earth with his power, with his indwelling. Disciples of Jesus, people who follow him, are people who subscribe to this reversal of values we just read. Well, what are they? There are four things. Jesus comes and he says, the first things, he comes down the mountain, he heals people, they're all listening to him, and he says, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you when you're hungry. Blessed are you when you weep. Blessed are you when people hate you. <laughs> you, you know, that word blessed, it, it literally can be translated, congratulations. When you are poor, when you're hungry, when you're weeping, when people laugh and hate you, congratulations. You understand the concept. You understand the values of God's kingdom because the values of this world are much different and they'll skew our lives and they'll move us in directions that, that are not healthy, that are not good, that are, that are certainly not redemptive. And so there in verse 24, Jesus says, but woe to you who are rich. He just juxtaposes each one of them. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are well-fed. There's going to come a day when you'll be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now because soon you'll weep. And woe to you when people speak well of you. Those four things, we, in, in God's economy, in God's kingdom, in, in the work of Jesus, he's saying, rich, full, laughing, popular, no bueno, not in God's kingdom. What Jesus wants us to grab and the values to hold on to Poor, hungry, weeping, hated. Want those things. Congratulations when you subscribe to the values of the kingdom. Because it has everything to do with how we approach and how we see and how we live our lives as followers of Jesus. Subscribing to a set of values that ultimately has to do with our attitude. Our attitude toward life, toward others. Our mindset about how we live this life. Attitude has everything to do with the followers of Jesus. What is our attitude toward our life? Circumstances that come into our life. <clears throat> I mean, on top of your own, our own issues, our loved ones, our friends, our family issues, our job issues, money issues, whatever, health. Now we lay on top of that a pandemic. What is our attitude in this world then toward these things that Jesus speaks of in relationship to how we move forward, especially when life gets complicated. And specifically, he mentions money, power, luxury, ease. In Jesus' kingdom, as his followers, he wants us to put our highest value on what lasts forever. See, every one of us, we can pursue riches, and we can pursue good food, and we can pursue laughter, and we can pursue, pursue popularity, and we can probably even get those things. But Jesus is saying, that's all you'll get. Woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Verse 24, woe to you who are hungry. You're going to get hungry again. If that's all we seek, that's all we get. That's so stunning what Jesus says. And say, instead, he says, seek after the values of my kingdom. And they will be upside down. They will be reversed in comparison to the values that, are sw that we're swimming in, that, that, that are all around us. Because it seems as though in our DNA, in our makeup as human beings, we have this desire, somewhat insatiable at times, to seek after popularity and wealth and good food and ease and luxury. But Jesus says, slow that train down. These are not the things worth ultimately pursuing. He's not calling them sinful. They can be. But he's not calling them wrong. He's just saying, if that's your highest pursuit, then your reward is in those things. 
Instead, value the things that last forever. Value the things that are eternal, not the things that are temporary. How many times do we have to hear that? Over and over and over, Jesus says this. Things on earth are not as God intended them to be. You know that. We all know that. So Jesus starts his mission, his sermon, his first words, with the instruction for us to reverse our values, to put our attitude on the things that are eternal. This is what he wants us to know. Living in a, bro- in a broken world, in a bent world, in a world saturated by sin, it is a world that is crooked. It is a world that is standing uh, off kilter. Something is wrong with everything. In fact, I like what C.S. Lewis says in his space trilogy where he describes angels that come to earth. When they get to earth, they stand at an angle. They're kind of leaning. He's describing these beings, uh, these angels from heaven standing when they get to earth at, at an angle. They're leaning and they look like, they look like they're, they're off kilter. But in actuality, what he's showing us is that, no, they're standing upright compared to God's values. The rest of the world is standing crooked we are the bent ones we just don't know it because it's the water we're swimming in it's the culture we all live in Jesus is telling us here that if we chase after values of riches and popularity and luxury we will necessarily exclude a pure and passionate chase and pursuit of him because those things will get all of our attention And he's saying, rather, see value in knowing your poverty, the reality of the world, that you are hungry, that we do weep, that we are hated at some level. If we see this, Jesus said, these are eternal values and you pursue them, everything else comes along and finds its proper place under the values of his kingdom. It's a reversal of what most of us know and what most of us are taught, living on this off-kilter, even upside-down world. So followers of Jesus, Christians are not people controlled and driven by the things that the world around us chases after and thinks is so critical. He makes the point that in this remarkable reversal of values and directives, while most of us understand that, we're called to pursue a different set of values, to have an attitude about life that is realistic, that sees us for who we are and live accordingly. And what that means is a a very practical application to who we are and what we do in this life as followers of Jesus. But let me just answer the why question because the why is so valuable and it goes really, I think, really, really, really deep. What is the point of Jesus launching his ministry this way and of us subscribing to a reversal of values that seems so counterintuitive and certainly countercultural? And here's what I think we we need to know. Jesus wants us to look past the temporary and to the eternal always, especially when we're facing things that can absolutely cut short the temporary. He's reminding us, and as he well his whole ministry, this life is not all there is. There's something greater. Remember when he says, blessed are you who are hungry, for you shall be fed. Blessed are you who weep, you will laugh. There's something he's pushing us toward in the future. There's a future he wants us to focus on, to live our lives by, to motivate us for how we live now, live life for what's coming, not just for what we're experiencing now. A new day of redemption and wholeness where life is eternal and sin is eradicated and there's no more death, no more 
sorrow, no more disease, no more virus. That day is coming. Live in light of that day and take on new values. For now, until that day, how we live lives now should be structured and captured by the values of his kingdom. And here's why. Because when we do, we begin to realize and live in the reality that everything is a gift of grace. Do you understand that? Everything in our life is a gift of grace. Everything. And there's no way we'll know that and believe that and be able to respond to that unless we take on the values Jesus espouses here, the ones he gives us, his manifesto, his mission, his directive, his message, taking on the values of Jesus above all the others. There's no way we can understand that everything is a gift of grace until we do that. It can't happen unless we do that. It's as simple and as profound as that. So in this context, let me wrap up just by giving you some and us some practicality. And, and I love how God just brings things together at the right moment. How his word always intersects our reality with truth and direction and hope. And here's practical outcomes that, I mean, we're all watching from our computers or our phones or our tablets. I mean, we're, we're living in a, in a different culture right now, a different reality so at a minimum, in this new context, what this means is we measure our response to this virus on, in our lives and the lives of, of, of others. We measure our response against the values of eternity and the grace of God and his power. Well, what does that look like? I, I just, I'll just end with two quick things. I think it means much more. But you, we get a grasp on these things and the, the, the rest of them will become self-evident. Two things. Number one, God is still in control. Jesus would not give us a whole new set of values to live our lives by if it did not move us toward faith in God being in control. And that's exactly what these do. We think we can control our own life. That's why we pursue other values. Jesus says, no, trust God. Trust in me. These values are the values that will move you through this life for your good and the good of others. So the first thing we need to know in this context, the practicality of this, te this text is that God is in control. Do not fear. Panic. Fear, that's all a, a, an aspect. I, I appreciate the media. I'm not a media basher. But I do know that the media... And all we're seeing about the coronavirus does solicit fear. We hear these, even, even if they try to not make us afraid, we still have this underlying sense of fear. When God comes along, do you realize that there are 365 times in the scriptures where God says, do not fear? Every, every page almost, do not fear. Don't let fear control you. Trust God. That's number one. Second thing, real quick. Times like these are when Christians should be at their best. Absolutely. This is God's plan, to do his work, his mission, on earth, through his people. Christians should be at their best. This means at a minimum that we respond in terms of what, not, of what is not only good for ourselves as individuals, not, not only what's good for Scadam, but what's good for those around us. So we not only don't want the virus ourselves, but we, we also know that we deploy ourselves in mission 
even at, in, in the context of the coronavirus, for the common good, the good of others. We live not just for ourselves, but for the good of others. So here's how this practically works out. I know for many of us, we would think, well, I'm hearing that if I get the virus and I'm in good shape, I'm going to be okay. It'll be a, a little road bump, discomfort, and um, I may hate it, but I'll get over it. I won't die of it. Well, that's fine, but here's what that does. It makes some of us foolish. So we think, so I'll just shake hands or hug or forget about social distancing. I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of go against the system because I'm going to be okay. Well, you might be okay, but the reality is if for some reason us behaving in that way causes someone else to get the virus, that's very foolish, very irresponsible of us as Christians. A couple weeks ago at church, someone came up to me uh, with her arms wide open to give me a hug. And I said, oh, are we supposed to be hugging? She goes, I don't care, just bring it in. And whereas I love hugging and shaking hands, I also know that that's very irresponsible. So I'm asking you, we're asking you, as much as we like to uh, shake hands and, and hug and be with and next to each other, uh, next to each other, just don't. Don't do that. Spreading it will be a very bad thing. We live to serve others. Followers of Jesus, as shown in this text, and certainly in the rest of this sermon, live their lives. <coughs> uh, sorry, that scared you a little bit, didn't it? Wasn't me coughing. That's, you're not near me, so that's okay. We live our lives in service to others, caring for, loving, and giving ourselves for the well-being of others. These beatitudes that Jesus speaks of here point us to our attitude to shift from self-focus to others' focus. The media, the government, they can ask us, even insist, that we behave in a way that makes the community safe. But they cannot insist or change hearts. They cannot actually increase a person's capacity to love, to care, to give of themselves, even sacrificially in a context of unknowns. Only faith in Jesus and his goodness and grace and sacrifice can do that at the level that's sustainable, especially in times like this. Can you imagine if Christians all around this globe and the coronavirus, it's all around this globe. Can you imagine if we took seriously the commands of Jesus and we behaved in a way where we responded to the goodness of God, to his absolute trustworthiness and his values and we started to look out for the interest of others, not only our own, in redemptive ways. What does that mean? Well, at a minimum, it means we care for people around us. Maybe you know of somebody, a neighbor, somebody in your club, in your group, maybe at school, at work. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they have the coronavirus. This idea of isolation is not healthy. Distancing is. So maybe as Christians, we think about those people who are suffering and we move in their direction, not to make physical contact. We don't need to, but we can bring a meal. We can send something, a note, be encouraging. We can, we can create space for listening uh, you know, send a bouquet of flowers, deliver one, a good book, a care package. It's just moving outside of ourselves to bless other people. Certainly it would mean 
sharing our faith in Jesus, what motivates us, what moves us in this way. I'll guarantee you, people are open to that right now. Let them know what motivates you, what adjusts your attitude, what gives you courage. Let your actions match your faith. Focus your values on the vulnerable. Jesus' ministry is all about that. The under-resourced, the poor. Jesus came and healed and served the poor, and that's what we should be about as well. Some of us can and probably should pay attention to the financial well-being of others who are going to suffer because of this virus. And I'm thinking about people in our own neighborhoods and culture who, is, who are earning a living, maybe as a, in the service sector, and they're operating on tips, but there are no tips because there are no customers, or there are people who are in other areas of industries of work that are our neighbors, that are in our families, that are part of this community we live on. It's, it's a matter of us stepping toward others, and God has given many of us the capacity to be able to generously and even sacrificially step in and help someone financially during this season. If that's you, I'm asking God to speak to you about that as a follower of him. All right, so let me end with this. I don't know where you stand with Jesus, your relationship to Jesus Christ, but I am certain that this is probably one of the best, if not the best opportunities you have or have ever had or will have in your life to get your life straight with him, to stop playing games. The worst thing in the world is not that you would die. The worst thing in the world that can happen to you is that you would die without Jesus Christ. When we have an opportunity and, and capacity to repair and step into and accept what Jesus is offering, why wouldn't you do that? Don't let dying without Jesus happen to you, please. Get your life straight with him. Receive what he's offering. Know that he forgives and loves and accepts. Maybe you're at a place where you know your values. You're a Christian, you're following Jesus, but, but you know your values are off kilter in relationship to the kingdom of God, to what Jesus is saying. And maybe the seriousness of this pandemic has you in a place where you realize that everything you are building your life on, even though you say you're a Christian, everything you're building your life on is paper thin and it's gonna, and it's gonna tear apart. It's gonna let you down. And actually, I think that's good if you're realizing that because that might move you to a place as a believer where you take your relationship with Jesus serious. Will you start adjusting your values on the reality and the truth of who Jesus is and what he said, values that we should live by and our attitudes toward others and our lives match what he is doing, eternal values. Absolutely understanding life will let us down hard we get our priorities right, and we focus on Jesus. So here's my landing point. What in the world is keeping you away from giving your life to Jesus and letting him change you from the inside out by his grace, by his love, by his mercy, by his goodness? Letting him fix that brokenness in you, that bent, that broken value system that we, that we come into this world with as products, as people of sin, whose life is captured by the reality of sin, 
but who also know we have a Savior who pulls us out of that and gives us a hope that will never run out. Why the heck would you not consider his truth claims right now? Why won't you do that? Simply put your faith in him. Maybe you're ready to do that. That's my prayer. There are people right now praying that you would do that. What if this is your last chance to make your life right with Jesus? I know that sounds sensationalistic, and I'm not a sensational person, but I think our times bear out that question. What if this were your last opportunity? Christians, brothers and sisters, we need to rise up, shine as lights in this darkness. We need to be people who are smart, people who are wise, people who watch for our own well-being, but in that same context, watch for and care for the well-being of those around us. To start to really demonstrate the values of Jesus have application and they have value much more than any other option. So I'm going to close with a prayer. And I'm going to try to make it accessible to you that you might respond and resonate with me as I pray wherever you are in your relationship to Christ. One who's trusting him fully, one who's, who's a Christian in word only, and, and you're not even sure what this means to take on a new value system, but you believe in Jesus. And then those of you who have had absolutely no interest in Jesus up till now. So I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to close our service with a few more things and uh, continue our time of worship together. So let's pray. Gracious and good God, we are people who are here at this time in history who have a great need for you to intervene in our culture and our community on the globe in regard to the coronavirus. And we're asking you to, to, to do miracles, to heal, to, to absolutely step in and and, and stand against the forces of darkness and evil. And I pray that in your strong name, you would cause us as believers to understand our role in this, who we are as people who operate on a different set of values. Would you instill those deep in us? Help us know that everything we have is a gift of grace that is given by you. And then in context of that, respond by looking for others to serve, to help, to, to be a witness, to shine our light the light of Jesus. There are people, God, who you, you know and you're calling them right now who have never made a, a step, a statement of faith in Jesus who right now would say because they realize it's time, forgive me, Jesus, for my sin. Come into my life. I receive and I believe and I ask you to be my Savior, my Lord, and the one who gives me hope and a focus on the eternal and new life now and a, and a new eternal life to come. Come into my heart. I give my life to you, and I do so as best I can, and I pray these things in the strong, the powerful name of Jesus for our good, for the good of others, and for your glory, absolutely and always. Amen. Friends, the pastors of Crossroads Church affirm every word that Pastor Kim shared today. And our question to you is simply, where are you? I mean, I'm not talking the dining room table or the living room floor or maybe sitting on the bed watching this with your kids. But where, where are you at a heart level? 
in responding to Jesus in this. And even though we're not physically together, we want to encourage you that we are together and we have means of connecting and serving you toward Jesus today. Below us, there's a button that says prayer. And if you'll just click on that, we have other pastors in another room who can respond to you, who can pray with and for you online and follow up with you in a relational way. And in the week to come, we would ask that you would reach out to us via email, text, calling the church office so that we can serve you toward Jesus in any way that we can. We're about to conclude our service. We worshiped God through songs. We worshiped him through opening the word together. And now we're worshiping through participation, ways that we can respond to this in how we live our lives. And I love ending our service with this because the participation in the gospel doesn't end when the service ends. It, it flows into this next week to come. So one way that we can all participate is by giving. That Crossroads Church is excited actually for the opportunity that we are in right now for us to serve more people toward and connect more people to, G to, to Jesus as everybody wrestles with the uncertainty and the unknown of what's going on in our culture. We know God's in control and we're excited to join him in that. So you can give in a couple ways. One is there's a button right up here for you to click that says give. You can also give through your Crossroads app. You can give on our website, or you can simply write a check and mail it to your campus. And uh, those are all great ways for us to continue the ministry together that God has called us to. And through this season, we are being faithful to that. Pastor Trevor. Thanks, Pastor James. Well, hey, Crossroads Church. It is so good to, well, you see me, I don't see you. But I'm excited to, to be talking with you this morning. I just want to recap a couple things that Pastor Matt shared with us. Uh, number one is this, is that we have a great opportunity to gather again next weekend online. We're adding our 8 o'clock service, so that's fantastic. So you can join us at 8, 9.30, and 11. Also, again, I just want to remind you that even though we're not physically together, we want to encourage our life groups to continue to, uh, to meet together. Now, obviously, if you're not feeling well or you're uncomfortable with that, that's okay. But we want to continue to have those touch points as the, as the body of Christ living out this idea of serving others towards and connecting them to Jesus Christ. Speaking of that... What an incredible opportunity that we have as the church to live that out. And I think Pastor Matt said it, Pastor Kim said it, that we have this moment where we can neighbor well, where we can talk to our neighbors. We can text them and say, hey, what's going on? Do you have any needs? Can I help meet those? Uh, maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a family you know that's going to struggle through this season. Uh, maybe it's one of those high-risk individuals. Uh, maybe it's a shut-in in your neighborhood or someone in our church. And we want to encourage you to do this, particularly with those high-risk, to say, hey, how can I help you? Uh, do, do you need some groceries? Could I go to the grocery store for you? Um, a lot of those folks have beloved pets and creatures in their homes, and maybe that, that creature needs attention, and so you could be willing to help them out. I, I heard a rumor that Pastor Kim might be willing to take care of cats. Now, that, that could be a pure rumor. But we'll find out for sure, okay? So just take opportunity to find those moments to love your neighbors well, because this is the time that we can be the church. So come on, faith. You can do it, and I believe in you. Pastor Jared. 
Uh, lastly, we just communication is so important, and uh, we want to make sure that we're communicating with you well. Uh, if you are not currently on the email list, please go through the website and get on our email list. Uh, as we send out emails throughout the week, we want you to get those. Uh, also, we still are taking in phone calls. Feel free to call if you have uh, any questions. But really, uh, another form of uh, communication that we use now is, is through our social media platform. And, and we really want to push that this uh, next few weeks and into the future, really. And so uh, as we're putting stuff out on Facebook, uh, we just want to encourage you to, to like it, to share it, uh, and, and to comment on it. When we start sharing this stuff on Facebook, it actually, uh, the spread of it goes so much further. And so uh, if you see something that you think, man, this is information that somebody else might need or, or someone else might like to know, please don't just keep scrolling through your page, uh, but share it so that other people can get that information. Uh, and just know that it's really our heart and our goal to help us stay connected in every way that we can. And man, I'm so thankful today for technology that that's just an easy way for us to communicate with you, um, but uh, we do our part. We need you to do your part as well. Well, Crossroads, we want to thank you for joining us uh, this morning. We are so grateful uh, to be able to worship together. And as we close, I'm going to ask, wherever, you at, wherever you're at, whether you're in your living room, in your kitchen, at a watch party, if you would go ahead and stand as I give you this benediction for our time together. You can hold out your hands like this. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. And may the Lord uh, lift up his face to you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift his countenance, his smile upon you this day. And may that give you peace. Thank you. Amen. We'll see you next week.